0: Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So the decision to keep Mike Petten threw me for a little bit of a loop because a decent amount of time yesterday was going through, well, on the off chance it does happen, it'll probably actually happen pretty quick. So I had better start looking into some people that obviously ended up being somewhat of a waste of time. But I still do want to talk quite a bit about it. I, I I always want to just move on because I feel like I've I've mentioned everything. But then there's there's more to be said. So I want to talk more about Pettin, some good and some bad. And so I might sound a little bipolar. On one hand, screaming at Mike Petten. On the other hand, yelling at everybody that says he should be fired. But um, the, the 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 bottom line is I don't know. But I do know that we don't have enough information to definitively say he's the problem, his defense is garbage, and we'll never be a good defense as long as he's our defensive coordinator. It's okay if you think that, and you take the information that you have and that's the conclusion you come to, but you don't know that. So I want to talk a little bit about that. I started one of my really fun off-season projects, and one of the cool things is, because I did most of this last year, a lot of the groundwork is done. So last year, half the time was spent just trying to figure out how to do it. And then this year I can just kind of plug in new numbers and boom, there you go. But uh, instead of doing it all in one day, because it's a fun little project, I figured I'm just going to do one position, talk about it, and then we'll move on. But the project du jour is um, rather than, you know, at times I would look at, for example, wide receiver, which is the position we're talking about. And I would say, you know, if you're top 32, you're good enough to be a number one. If you're top 64, blah, 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 right? The problem is you got some teams with like Tampa Bay, having two top 10 wide receivers. This is based on PFF, by the way. I know there's maybe one other way that you could do this, but I'm, I'm going to stick with PFF. No offense to DVOA, I just, I like PFF a little better. It's not perfect, but I still think it's the better metric when you are actually watching every single play, and every single player on every single play, whereas I feel like DVOA has a lot more assumptions kind of built in. It's probably the second best thing, but whatever. Also, I get to do that for all the positions, and DVOA only does it for some of the positions. But what I did is I actually looked at all the 32 teams' number one wide receivers and ranked them against our number one wide receiver. I took all the teams' number two wide receivers and ranked them against our number two, and then all the number threes against our number three. It's a little bit dicey in terms of who's the one, two, and three, but I kind of did what I felt was the best thing. Uh, primarily, I'm focused on highest grade, but a lot of times there's a clear number three, and it's not the third best person, so you got to make some decisions there. Even for the Packers, for that matter, I did go with Kumaro, although you could make a strong case for MVS, as surprising as that sounds. MVS was the worst wide receiver, but he was the third highest in terms of receptions. If you actually filter out the wide receivers to 20% of the total. We had exactly three wide receivers, and it was Devontae, then Lazard, then MVS. But I decided to opt for Kumaro. And also something to keep in mind, I understand Kumaro's probably not going to be here next year. This is looking back on last year, not trying to look forward into the future. In fact, it's probably going to help inform what we do going into the future. So that was that. And then I want to also look at some of our assistant coaches, because now that we kept Petten... The frustration is probably just going to move downhill, unless this is just entirely on the players and there's no assumption of anything being done wrong by the coaches. But I I have to assume there's going to be a little bit of turnover. And then uh, free agency in the Senior Bowl. So there you go. Pretty jam-packed. But that's what we got. Anyways, make sure you are in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. Make sure you like the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. If you'd like to support the podcast, patreon.com slash pack underscore daddy, I do have my a uh, big board with, I think, over 400 prospects, I think is what it is. 407 prospects, and what it is is a uh, consensus big board, so it's an aggregate of all the different big boards. I just signed up for uh, ESPN. I've avoided it for a very long time, but I figure if I'm going to do it, I better do it right, so I got uh, McShay and Kuiper's big boards in there. And then today, I just saw Daniel Jeremiah dropped his top 50, so I'll be adding that. But if you'd like to see that, be sure to get into Patreon. You can see it for as little as a dollar a month. I'm going to be updating a lot of draft stuff. I've got a. I just finished my mock draft, actually, so I'll probably be putting that. I think I'm going to put that on Packernet, so that'll be free to see today. But it is based on this year's Big Board. And a special thank you to Michael, Christy, and Mike for jumping in on Patreon. Really appreciate that. We are up to 67 patrons. So I'm assuming at this pace we're not going to get to 100, but we are still going to have a giveaway of a free t shirt. Hopefully by next month we'll be able to. Uh, once we cross that 100 threshold, we'll have somebody design their own t-shirt. It'll be available in the store, and so that'll be pretty cool. Anyways, let us take a break. We'll start talking about some stuff. See, I, I know there's a, a few of you out there who are hearing me say, this spring you should go to Arizona, and you're thinking, why would I do that? Spring is like 70 degrees, 70 degrees in Wisconsin. It's beautiful here. No, 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 no. starts in February, Haas. February 22nd is uh, day one. So, still a little bit chilly around here. It's going to be a foot of snow. Mark my words. So, rather than shoveling out that foot of snow, because you're going to get that random springish day, like February 18th, where it's going to be like 45, 50, it's going to feel like the greatest day of your life, and you're going to feel like, ooh, spring's already here, it's coming early, and then it's going to be four below in a blizzard. Don't, don't, don't let winter play its games like that, alright? Homie, most certainly don't play that. Instead, You should be at American Family Fields of Phoenix, where the Milwaukee Brewers play. You should be getting phone calls from your neighbors saying, hey, you okay? I haven't seen you in a while. It's where you're stuck in your house. And you're like, nah, dude, I'm in Arizona. Wearing short shorts in a Tommy Bahama. Because I can. And when you're done watching the Brewers, again, 10 stadiums, 15 teams, all within 50 miles of Phoenix. Get yourself some autographs. Watch some good baseball. You can do all of this when you plan your spring training getaway at visitarizona.com slash spring training. Here's the problem, though. Your next-door neighbor, Frank, is kind of a thief. And you just told him, you're not home, you're in Arizona. So now you got to worry about your stuff. You know Frank was eyeing you up as you were carrying in that 70-inch you just bought. I don't trust Frank. You don't trust Frank. That's why you should check out Safe. Because Simply Safe home security is like getting commercial-grade enterprise-level security, but for your home. Think about the security that Fortune 500 companies use. The kind where if somebody even walks by looking weird, cops show up. That's exactly the kind of security you're going to get with safe If somebody breaks into your house, there are cameras that are activated that get sent straight to the police so they know this isn't just some weird thing, some another false alarm, dumb home security system that I keep checking out, and every time I do, 99 times out of 100, there's nothing going on. Nope. Video evidence. He's in the house. He's currently using the washroom, but presumably when he gets out, he's going to take some stuff. You better get over there and come heavy because Frank's a little weird. But just in case you're cool with Frank and you don't think he would do that to you, they've also got uh, protection against fires, water damage, carbon monoxide. It's monitoring your home, your windows, everything about your house 24 hours a day with a direct link to all the people that need it, the police, the fire department, etc., etc. And you get all this for 50 cents a day, no contract. So go to simplysafecom slash overtime today to get a free shipping on your order, plus a 60-day money-back guarantee. That's simplysafecom slash overtime to save on home security today. Simplysafe.com/overtime. slash overtime. All right, so let's talk Mike Pettin. It's so hard to know where to start with positive and negative without just saying both at the same time and sounding bipolar, but there is both. Well, first of all, let's say that e- Eli retired. Kind of big news. Probably should talk about it. Kind of a foregone conclusion also, so... Congrats to Eli for being the highest-paid quarterback ever, not per year, but you know over the course of his his everything, highest-paid. His brother, second highest-paid. They're doing all right as a family. Well, let's let's start with this. First of all, there was a video of Matt Lafleur, and I could go and find it and play it, but I, you know, let's just keep rolling here. Coming out and and what I had seen was about five thousand responses to it on Twitter before I actually saw the video and listened to it by. The entire jury of, of Twitter users, Matt LaFleur was clearly indicating he was not happy with Pettin. I don't hear that. I really don't. You you could try to read between the tea leaves and assume he's talking about Pettin, but it was in his, his comment about, I don't know how we couldn't... St- it's not like we didn't know what they were going to do. We knew they were going to run the ball was his statement now maybe by itself that could sound bad but if you take it in its context just a few seconds ago he was clearly slamming his players saying that they weren't putting in the effort saying that they weren't playing with their hair on fire and i didn't hear a clear and definitive pause or break or a comment like and also another problem was or anything like that he just continued on saying these guys weren't playing hard they were there. They had the opportunity. We, we, we were there to win a Super Bowl. We knew what they were doing. Nobody was playing with any effort. It, it just sounded like a continuation of talking about the players. And then after that, he went on and said, and that's for all of us, for me and for the coaches, et cetera." Et cetera. So I, I just didn't really hear it. Now, it's possible that Pettin played a big role in that. Everybody's talk- Here, here's the problem with everybody talking about Mike Pettin and the scheme. You have to go back and watch and, and find problems with the scheme i also tend to believe that 90 percent of the people who say he didn't make adjustments are people that are just saying we kept losing at halftime after halftime we kept losing you have no idea if he adjusted his scheme you just know whatever he was doing still didn't work so you're assuming he kept doing the same thing but you have no clue i'm saying 90 percent if you're one of the 10 percent that actually watched the scheme change and saw that it still didn't or or, or watched and saw the scheme didn't change then kudos to you. I'm just assuming most people are saying he didn't make adjustments, which, by the way, is 90% of people when they say we don't make adjustments at halftime, they're just saying we kept losing. Which, by the way, when Team A is just better than Team B, it doesn't matter how many adjustments you make. When the Chiefs play the Dolphins, they can make an adjustment after every series, and it's not going to make a difference. Bill Belichick himself and all the greatest defensive minds in the world could converge on Miami with all the brilliant statisticians and, and everybody else to come up with just the perfect scheme and the perfect play, you could have the Chiefs, Andy Rika walk across the field, hand them the playbook and say, I'm calling this one right here, number 46. I highlighted it green for you. We're going to call that after the timeout. You good? And then after the timeout, they would run the play and they would complete a pass, probably for a touchdown to Travis Kelsey. It's not a matter of if you have the right scheme, you win. So to say that we're still losing, therefore the scheme doesn't work, that's not always true. However, let me add a little fuel to the anti patent fire, which I don't want to do too much because we just hired the guy again, or chose not to fire him, I suppose. Pro Football Network, like apparently every single um, NFL website now, has their own metrics. They've got some proprietary metric they call OSM, offensive share metric, and it's very similar to a lot of others where what they're doing is not just looking at the production, but the production based on circumstances. The OSM grades that they handed out didn't actually have Mostert as the best running back despite having clearly the most production. In fact, they had Derrick Henry and Aaron Jones graded higher uh, via their OSM metrics than they did Raheem Mostert. Let me give you a hint as to why that would be. The title of this article is Mike Pettin helped Raheem Mostert dominate the NFC Championship. So what are some of the variables that they looked at to come to this conclusion? It's very simple. Jones and Henry were going against stacked 8 or more man boxes 33 and 36% of the time. So Aaron Jones was 33.33, exactly one third of the time he was going up against an 8 or more loaded box. Derrick Henry, 36.84, a little bit more. The most absolutely damning thing, in my opinion, about this game that you can say about uh, Mike Pettin, and the biggest evidence that he didn't make adjustments, or if he did, they clearly weren't the right one, is the fact that they won the game, scored 37 points, and their quarterback threw the ball eight times. They ran and ran and ran to the point where Raheem Mostert was breaking records, The Packers loaded the box with eight or more defenders 13.79% of the time. So again, and as a general rule, saying they didn't make adjustments, don't say that if you don't know they didn't make adjustments. But as a matter of fact, I have to say, as somebody who doesn't know what adjustments were made, if you're not making an adjustment by halftime that says, we need to focus a little more on stopping the run, I don't know what we're doing. And at no I mean I understand saying listen as soon as we load up the box they're gonna kill us because we don't have the guys to cover. We don't have the guys to protect against, you know, their their tight end or what I don't I don't know what else other than the tight end that they'd be worried about. But you know what? It's not working, dude. You're getting gashed for two hundred yards on the ground. Let's stop the bleeding there and then address the next issue as it arises, but let's at least get to that issue. Jimmy Garoppolo was 6 of 8 for 77 yards. Raheem ran the ball 29 times for 220 yards. And we continued to stay with a light box almost the entire game. Again, I don't know all the details, but something tells me that's a little stupid. And yeah, on some level you have to look at it and say, listen, you're a player, you got to execute. But on another level, really? We're going to tie their hands behind their back and say, you know what, it's still your job to make a play? We're going to tie their shoelaces together and say, so what? Go hop to the quarterback. Be a man. Nah, dude. Nah, not so much. And again, at least try it. You can't tell me, you know what, we tried it and it didn't work. He completed six passes. What didn't work? You tell me he completed like what, four passes? And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. All right, everybody back off. He's got four passes and a half now. Let's come on now. We're just just getting carved up through the air. And heavens knows we can't trust King and Jair and all these guys that we just went out and got. We're going to put this on Blake Martinez. Literally, is is the best way I could summarize how that went down. Mike Pettin decided the best way to do this is to trust Blake Martinez to win this for us. We're going to help out all the DBs with extra help. And we're going to go light up front and trust Blake to, to swing around, you know, swoop around and make plays. And guess what? That didn't happen too much. So there, that is my big negative on this. Now let's kind of swing in the other direction on a couple points. Number one, I want to revisit the Shanahan thing. I mentioned that I think the gap between Pettin and Shanahan is a talent gap, more so than it is a coaching quality gap. There might be some issues there, and there's clearly a problem with Mike Pettin's scheme and this style of offense. I, don't, I think that that's also to some degree true. However, let's be clear about something and go revisit that Cleveland Browns thing. The biggest issue with that is Mike Pettin supposedly not being focused on next week. Right? That, that even to me is sort of the biggest, most concerning thing. But let's be very clear about something. Kyle Shanahan said if, if we were focused on them the way they're focused on us, we would annihilate them. In 2014, Mike Pettin's defense was ninth in points. Shanahan's offense with the Cleveland Browns was 27th in points, 23rd in in yards. It was one of the worst offenses in football. Well, you say, well, that's not Kyle Shanahan. That's the offense. Exactly. Exactly correct. The gap between Pettin and Shanahan was in Pettin's favor. And no matter how Petten was preparing, and I don't even know, having thought about this, I don't know that I even necessarily believe that that's true. Mike Petten didn't prepare for the next week's opponents. I doubt that very much. I think what you had was Mike Pettin's defense was heads and tails above above Kyle Shanahan's offense. I think they took a lot of pride in that defense because Mike Pettin takes a lot of pride in his defense. I think they whooped on the offense over and over and over because it was a garbage offense. And I think Shanahan and the offense were furious about it. They hated the fact that that defense was so much better and bragged about it and gloated about it. And were like, dude, we're on the same team. And I get that, but I think it's a load of garbage to say that, well, Pettin didn't even prepare. Dude, this was a top 10 defense. And then by the way, the defense wasn't even that good as far as talent. In fact, the very next year, it was one of the worst defenses in football. It was still under Petton. But but the point is, it's it's not that strong of a group. They were just kind of clicking that year. And the fact of the matter is, the talent gap, the scheme gap, didn't exist. This offensive genius couldn't make his players be better than Petton's defense. So yes, Petton does know how to beat Shanahan's offense. However, and, and listen... See, I I don't know if I even want to go there yet, because this is where I'm really torn. And I guess I didn't say all the negatives quite yet. Let's continue on, and then I'll I'll talk about my conundrum. So there's that, right? Shanahan is just better than Pettin. Eh, maybe. If, if, If Shanahan has had, and by the way, let's not forget, Shanahan has had how many losing seasons in a row now? It's just now starting to click now that he finally has the roster that he wants. And by the way, a lot of what makes this team great, and I've been saying this for a while, I said it about the Eagles as well, is the fact that they are very well-versed and very well-practiced, that the offensive line, when they run a play, is like watching a ballet. And so it's not just talent, it's execution. And no, it's not just because Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't around last year, and that's the only reason that they've gone from horrible to elite, because Jimmy Garoppolo is just barely above average. This is a team that has invested in Kyle Shanahan and knows that if we give him enough time and enough resources, that eventually this will become a very good offense. I'm wondering if we should offer that same kind of thinking to Mike Pettin. He has a system. The system is known to work very well, but we don't want to give him any opportunity to get the right kind of guys and to be able to train them up over the course of time. We don't want to give him that opportunity. This is your second year, and granted it's your first year with half of your defense, but it's your second year, and this defense should just be elite. Granted, you don't have the defensive lineman you need. And I know, listen, we 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 took an entire year and stacked him full of talent. And so, the the conundrum I have is is it fair to look at this and say, "We're just going to keep making excuses for you until we load you up with every kind of player that you need," which nobody has perfect players, or should we look at it more so from the standpoint of you need to start using the players you have to their to their benefit, right? You you plan around your players. But I do think we should give him a little bit more time because the more I think about it, it's not just that he needs first round picks across the board. The point is there's a prototype and he would rather have the right prototype that is a fourth round pick than the wrong prototype that is a first round pick. In order to run my scheme, I need guys that can do certain certain things, right? like getting rid of Mike Daniels. It's not that he's a bad player, it's just that he doesn't fit. He's probably better than the guys we're going to replace him with, but if we're going to run my scheme, if we're going to run my plays and the way that I run my defense, I need guys that can do A and B, not guys that are elite at C and D, because we, that doesn't help me do what I need to do, and, and the fact of the matter is my defense is a unit. And so let's let's give him a little bit more time. I understand not wanting you know another Dom Capers situation, but the fact of the matter is almost every good coach needs time. I already went through the Vic Fangio thing. For his first year, they were 24th. Second year, they were 9th. Petten's first year, we were 22nd. Second year, 9th. Fangio, actually, I think it might have been f- second and third, whatever. In his final year, this was a dominant defense. Why don't we give the, the, Mike Petten that opportunity? We're going to pretend we didn't take massive strides. And again, I get it. Maybe you could just say this is a Gutekunst defense, not a Petten defense. That you could have given Dom Capers these players, and we would have been just as good, or if not better. Maybe, I don't know. Probably not, though, because it was a different scheme, and he wouldn't have used Zadarius Smith in that way. Zadarius would have been a straight-up stand-up uh, outside linebacker that occasionally dropped into coverage, or he would have just been a defensive end, hand in the dirt. Aside from an occasional NASCAR package where he did have four you know, pass rushers along the line. I also don't want to go too far in assuming that it was all Gutekunst and that the development of guys like Zedarius and Preston have nothing to do with his coaching staff. And if we just take Pettin and get him out of here and bring in Wade Phillips or some other guy who runs an entirely different scheme, that Zedarius and Preston are going to be just as good. Because they're just always going to be good, even though they've never been this good. We're just going to assume that they just evolved like this and they just would have no matter what environment, no matter what team, no matter what scheme, no matter what coaching direction no matter who none of these things matter the only thing that matters is that we have them and then we're going to get 15 16 18 20 sacks every year i don't know that i want to just assume that my cautious self i'd like to keep what we have and see if we can build it give mike Pettin the opportunity to reflect on this sit down with him and say dude what is the problem he's saying look this is this is what i run This is what we do. This is why it works. However, this is why it didn't work, and it was execution. And again, I I say it for everyone that says it was a scheme issue, go back and find a problem on every single play and tell me, was it execution or was it scheme? If every one of these guys gets blocked out of oblivion, that has nothing to do with Mike Pettin. If a guy's there to make a tackle and whiffs, that's not Mike Pettin. The tackling, by the way, in this game was, was, using nice language, it was bad. It was horse manure. That's not to entirely take away from the 49ers, but I don't know how we can place it all on Pettin as though if you just ran a different play, they would have tackled better? They would have shed a block better? What What are you talking about? And again, I don't, I don't think it's a coincidence. I mean, the, the Chargers are certainly an anomaly, but if you look at the 49ers and the Eagles, these are two teams that run the ball extremely well because of their offensive line. And I think with Mike Pettin, what he really would like is to have a defensive line that is massively disruptive, that is not going to be blocked anywhere, that is just going to blow you up. And I think a lot of the season, that's what's happened. You can't choreograph anything with your offensive line because guys are just getting launched everywhere. That happened against the Chicago Bears. I remember laughing out loud as I was reviewing that game, watching offensive linemen getting thrown all over the place. I mean, there, there was no choreographing anything. You go back and look at this 49ers game, Guys are just moving wherever it is the 49ers want them to go. Every single offensive lineman is reaching their block, and they're walling off the defenders, and the defenders can't get off of it, and the running back has a lane that you could drive a Mack truck through. That's not a scheme issue. Now, you could say, well, if you stack the box, that wouldn't happen. Okay, that's fine. In that particular instance, you could make a change that would maybe help out the deficiencies, but number one, we first have to acknowledge there is a deficiency because Mike Pettin would like to do this but can't, Not because it's unreasonable, but because our guys can't execute what I'm asking them to do. But fine, maybe we could have made an adjustment to compensate for the deficiency. But I don't see anything necessarily wrong with keeping Mike Pettin and giving him the opportunity. And and again, it's not even such a matter of, well, we just need better players. It's let's give the guy the types of players that he needs and then see what he can do. Obviously, there has to be some quality there. I think Oren Burks is a type that he likes, but he can't execute. There's a reason Blake Martinez, who apparently is not the right kind of guy, is on the field all the time, and Oren Burks isn't. There's an execution level, a talent level, but at the same time, he's being asked to do things that just are not in his wheelhouse. And I don't think it's a coincidence that, as far as grades, I'm not talking about tackles and stat, Blake Martinez was actually graded pretty well as a run defender under uh, Dom Capers. He is a terrible run defender under Mike Pettin. I don't think that's because he got worse. I think that's because he's being asked to do different things, and he just can't thrive in this environment. I think it's entirely possible we get rid of Blake Martinez. He goes somewhere else and is a very good linebacker. And you know what the first thing people are going to say is? Oh, see? Mike Pettin is garbage. Suddenly he goes somewhere else, and look how good he is. It's because he's being asked to do things that are better for Blake Martinez. And the problem well, why don't you just ask him to do that here? Because he's trying to put his better players in positions to succeed. And so if you adjust your entire scheme around Blake Martinez, you're putting Zedarius and Kenny and these guys in disadvantageous spot. So you're not going to sacrifice your elite talent to you know, compensate or handicap your, your mediocre linebacker. Just get a new linebacker. right? Mike Pettin switched from two-gapping to a lot of single gapping. Why? Because he wants guys that penetrate. Because he has guys that are very good at it. Rashawn and Zedarius and Preston and Kenny. These guys can attack a gap. The problem is that means you got a guy like Blake that has to be responsible for an entire gap. He can't do it. He was much better under Dom Capers where you got guys that are two-gapping. Because they're responsible for for waiting and then reacting. So if he went through this hole, we shed our block and we go get the guy. And Blake just kind of cleans up, and he was good at it. He just kind of hung back, waited to see where he was going to go. Nobody was getting up to that next level because these guys are just controlling the offensive lines. I think Dom Capers made it easy on the linebackers. Mike Petton does not. And I think Mike Petton requires better linebackers than, than Dom Capers did. And so, again, there's a lot of questions, but I think dumping Pettin prematurely and then going out and saying we should go get the Wisconsin... Uh, defensive coordinator just seems crazy to me i mean i i understand there's some benefit to it but it's on some level experience has got to play into this and and even jim leonard the defensive coordinator has said he's you know i'm flattered by all the the talk about moving on to the the pros or getting a head coaching job and he might but he even said i'm focused on on just doing what i'm doing now because a lot of these guys have forgotten more than i know I, I mean, I think mentality-wise, I think, mentality wise, I think he's, he's got some great potential. I think there's a lot of upside to getting a young guy like that that has the ability to innovate, but also understand he's spent his entire career studying de, uh, college offenses. And there's some overlap, but he comes here and has to learn how to stop Kyle Shanahan. He comes here and has to learn how to stop Andy Reid. He has no idea what he's doing. For me personally, if we're going to switch, I'm looking at a guy like uh, Chris Richard, I think is how you say his name. It's Richard, but I, I don't think it's Chris Richard. The uh, defensive backs coach that was the DB coach for the Legion of Boom, and the guy that moved to Dallas and took that hapless DB group to creating one of the, probably the most sought-after free agent defensive back this year, Byron Jones, just turned him into a freak. I I think there was some potential there. But you got to understand, that requires tearing everything down and starting over. What is the point in starting the process of building toward a Mike Pettin defense and that after one year of slowly building in that direction, we give up on it and start tearing down and rebuilding again? Let's keep growing. Why not give Zedarius a second year in the scheme? And Preston and Amos and Savage. The and beyond that, just the narrative that this wasn't a good defense surprises me. I, I just I don't know where this came from. The, the the thing I keep hearing is, okay, fine, it wasn't a bad defense but it was bad at the biggest moment of the year. That's kind of irrelevant, isn't it? It's a great defense with deficiencies. So either he has no deficiencies and can't be beat by anybody, or we get a new defensive coordinator who, by the way, is going to have deficiencies, especially if it's a new scheme and he's working with Mike Pettin players. We're going to fall back to 29th defense again because we're going to take Mike Pettin players... Who are, who are here to run a certain scheme, and we're going to ask them to do different things that they can't do very well. And we're going to have to start getting rid of them and getting in new defensive players again. I just, I don't get it. We swept the NFC North largely because of Mike Pettin and this defense. By the way, the guy has got the Minnesota Vikings pegged. I don't think that's a bad thing. As much as Shanahan might have Pettin's number, Pettin certainly seems to have Gary Kubiak's number. And the fact is, we, we just want to forget about that because we're angry. He's the reason we lost, and so I'm angry, so he needs to go. This is not a bad defense. And by the way, it's not just, you know, we look at it in the macro and say, well, he can't stop the run. Dude, the Vikings just want to run the ball, and they're very good at it, and they have one of the better running backs in the league. They have a very similar offense to the 49ers in that it all revolves around running the outside zone scheme. The Vikings score 26 points in two games. This defense that everybody hates only allowed teams scoring more than 24 points four times. Twice to the 49ers, once to the Chargers, once to the Eagles. And here's the here's the crazy thing. So this was a defense that was almost unanimously amazing. Almost zero games were not good. And you could almost include the Chargers in that. 26 points is not exactly the most elite performance ever. It was a, a, a knockout, not because of the defense, but because the offense got 11 points. The offense scored 27 or more points in just about half of the games they played, so that was a winnable game. But again, you've got the Eagles and the 49ers who have these offensive lines that tend to dominate the Green Bay Packers' defense because of deficiencies that they have, to the point at which the Eagles scored 34, the 49ers scored 37 twice. Here's the question, though. What if they're just a couple players away? Get them a defensive lineman and a linebacker, and suddenly those problems go away And suddenly the 49ers and Eagles, and I'm not saying we automatically beat them, but I'm saying you maybe bring that from 37 down to 26, 24. In other words, here's the problem we have with these specific teams and teams that have these attributes and quality, and here's how we fix it. Why don't we give Petten the opportunity to fix it? Why don't we trust the man that give us one of the best defenses we've had in ever? Ever is obviously overstating it, but I mean, very long time. The last time our defense was out of the 20s in points was 2015, and they were ranked 12th, which is not as good as 9th. And yes, I'm using points because, again, despite all the advanced analytics, scoring points is the name of the game. And so I think it matters. 2014, they were 13th. 2013, they were 24th. 2012, they were 11th. That's not as good. 2011, they were 19th. Not as good. 2010, they were 2nd. So the last time the defense was this good was the year we won a Super Bowl, and not surprisingly, we got to the NFC Championship game with this defense. And the answer for a lot of Packer fans is let's blow it up and start over. We went from 22nd to 9th, and as a direct result of that, went to the NFC Championship game because it sure as heck wasn't the offense that got us there. And we know that what's going to get us a Super Bowl championship is having a quality defense, and we won't give Mike Pettin the opportunity to solve the answer to three games... Three games he lost control, and we're not going to give him the opportunity to say, here's how to fix it. The guy that dominated almost the entire season. The guy that helped us beat Minnesota in Minnesota, the guy that helped us sweep the division, get a first-round bye, get to the NFC Championship game, largely because of Mike Pettin. We're not even going to give him the opportunity to say, hey, by the way, those three games we got beat up on by our defense. Something that, by the way, over the last five years happened half the season, getting just run up on. But it happened three times. Do you have an answer for why that happened? What would be the solution, and what can we do to help you? You think Mike Pettin doesn't have an answer? Can we give him the opportunity to fix three games, please? But because one of them it was the NFC North Championship and you're still pouting, we got to have a fire everybody party. I just don't get how everybody turns on Pettin so quickly. Three games! and And again, they all have very similar characteristics offensive line dominating the defensive line that's the story when you talk about the eagles and the 49ers they have an offensive line that is just remarkable do you want to know why the vikings who are a very good team don't have any ability to beat the packers because their offensive line is trash it's very hard to beat the packers defensive line but if you can you can beat the whole defense so what do you do is this insurmountable do you think maybe there's a solution in there somewhere i think there is but maybe we should just give up. Maybe we should let a a college defensive coordinator who's been a coordinator for, what, two years now as a defensive coordinator? We should have him take over this thing. We should bring him up to the big leagues and have him go up against some of the most brilliant offensive minds in all of football, because although he he knows nothing about NFL football, he studied college football and dominates in the college ranks. He obviously can take this over. Forget the fact that Mike Pettin is a brilliant defensive mind who has given us our best defense since 2010 and helped us get to the NFC Championship game and sweep the NFC North and beat the Vikings at home against all odds. Forget all of that because we lost in the NFC Championship and now I'm mad and now I want him fired. Come on, man. Don't do that. Don't do that. Maybe it was Pettin's fault. Fine. But holding him to a standard in which he's not allowed to get beat three times is dumb. The Baltimore Ravens had a very good defense, right? Third in points. Kansas City Chiefs scored 33 points. The Cleveland Browns scored 40 points against them. This past year, the Browns, 40 points. Fire them. It's just that simple. By the way, they lost in the playoffs. you know why? Well, the team did only score 12 points, but also the defense gave up 28. 28 points. Third highest. Defense is trash. Probably should fire the guy, right? The number one scoring defense, the New England Patriots. You know how many games they had above 26? Three. Same as us. The Miami Dolphins scored 27 points in Week 17. Fire the man. The Texans scored 28 points, and the Baltimore Ravens scored 37 points. They lost out on that first round bye because they lost to the Miami Dolphins because the defense allowed 27 points by the Dolphins. Fire the man. If we had beat that team... If the defense didn't lay an egg against the Dolphins, we would have gotten a first-round bye. We'd probably be in the Super Bowl right now. Fire him. I don't even know who the defensive coordinator is under Bill Belichick. I mean, Bill Belichick is the... Maybe we should just fire Bill. Clearly, it's run its course. Because you lost to the Miami Dolphins 20... You get what I'm doing here, right? Relax. Nobody doesn't get beat. Pittsburgh Steelers had an elite, elite defense. Top five in point. If you're wondering why everyone's saying that the Steelers are going to be so much better next year, it's because they have one of the best defenses in football. You just didn't hear about it because their offense was trash. Lost to the New England Patriots 33-3. Keith Butler should probably be drug out back and beaten with sticks. They scored 26 points, one of the highest point totals they scored all year against the Seattle Seahawks, but they lost because this defense, this supposedly elite defense, gave up 28 points. Same is true for the Ravens, gave up 28 points. Games above 26? Again, three. Seems to be a common theme. The Ravens, three. The Steelers, three. The Patriots, three. The Packers, three. Well, 37's more than 33. Whatever. In your universe, you fire Pettin, you get somebody else. And maybe you're right. Again, I don't know. Maybe Pettin just can't fix this. Maybe his scheme is just outdated and it doesn't work. Maybe it doesn't matter. And, and, you know, unless we do get elite players along the defensive line, this scheme will never work. I don't know. But I know that throwing in the towel on Mike Pettin when the defense is finally able to deliver seems a little silly. Yes, it's clearly not good enough to beat certain teams. Let's also think about it this way. Had the Vikings beat the 49ers, is there any doubt to the fact that when the Vikings came to Green Bay, we would have absolutely had a great opportunity to win? Because it's not that the defense laid an egg, it's that the defense can't play against the 49ers, but they absolutely can beat the Vikings. I think it's almost a, 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 basically a foregone conclusion that if we didn't have to go to San Francisco, but instead the Vikings had won, we would be in the Super Bowl right now. But that's not what happened. Anyways, we got to take a break because I'm already out of time and there's more to talk about. But you you get what I'm saying, right? Be right back. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us Days at U.S. Cellular, exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. This episode of the PackerNet Podcast is brought to you by The Athletic. It's a subscription-based sports news site for real sports fans. You're going to get full access to all sports teams, cities, and writers. You can customize and choose the content that you care about, and they're constantly adding more cities and more writers. This is a one-stop shop for passionate sports fans. And again, this is no ads, no clickbait, just quality content. It's one of the benefits of a subscription model. So download the Athletic app, and you'll be able to pick your favorite teams, and the Athletic is going to devise your own news feed. And if you're ready to get started, go to theathletic.com slash overtime to get 40% off a yearly subscription. That's theathletic.com slash overtime. All right, so what would make sense would be to talk about the coaches, but I don't think we have that much time. I'll save that for tomorrow. Um, one interesting and unfortunate little tidbit when I was doing my big board is, if you look, if you can, all the way to the right, there's the, well, not all the way, the second from the, the farthest to the right is the average, which is the average place that these people are put on a board. And the big drop-off comes right at pick 29. <laughs> Packers pick at 30. And if you look, it's it's, you know, Basically a player on average for every, you know, pick-ish, pick or two, every, all the way down. So the average player, uh, the, the 29th player on average is put at around, I don't know, 30-ish, 32 maybe. I think it's it's 29 or 30, I think is what it is. The 30th player on average is ranked like 37th. So obviously this is, this is early and it's not whatever. But based on the information I got by aggregating all these boards, there's around 29-ish first-round players. After that, there's a pretty big drop-off. So hopefully that changes. Um, th- there's always going to be that cut-off and that drop-off, and usually by the time you get to 30, you're looking at second-round prospect. That's the unfortunate part about drafting late. Not that you can't get quality. Kenny Clark was a later guy. We've gotten some quality guys there. But um, you just kind of hope that that's not how it goes. I just I, I noticed that, and it was like, you've got to be kidding me. We pick at 30, and 29 is the drop-off. Probably also don't have time to do my, uh, my project, so we'll save that for tomorrow. But... There was one uh, Senior Bowl meeting to report. The Green Bay Packers met with Nebraska defensive tackle Darion Daniels, currently seen by PFF as an undrafted free agent. However, hilariously, but also probably not super coincidentally, the comp that they gave to Darion Daniels is Tyler Lancaster. He is a big, solid man who is an absolute immovable object that offers nothing by way of pass rush. Interestingly enough, Tyler Lancaster was also an undrafted free agent, and he's actually been pretty hugely beneficial to this team. He is the run-stuffer. He is that guy. The six-foot-three, three 313-pound cornbread, just hold your ground and don't let anybody move you. He's not an elite player, but for 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 a value standpoint, you get a guy like Tyler Lancaster as an undrafted free agent to be able to fill that role. That's hugely impressive. It's also why I would like to get a guy like Raquan Davis, but you know. I'll try not to mention his name on every podcast. But just for a little insight on Mr. Darian Daniels, six foot four, 325, redshirt senior. He had 11 run stops, which, you know, the stops are um, tackles that count as a negative play for the offense. He had two sacks, two hits, four hurries. He was a four-star recruit coming out of high school. Looking at his sort of overview here, here's a little blurb about him. Daniels thrived in college through sheer girth. The man was an immovable block in the middle of both Nebraska and Oklahoma State's defense. While he didn't move backwards, Daniels unfortunately didn't move forward either. His complete lack of pass rush prowess is going to keep him low on our board. Even as a run defender, there are much better options in this class. He was hardly even a playmaker in that regard with no more than 14 stops in a single season. Some of the positives and negatives. Uh, pros, he doesn't relinquish any inch, uh, an inch on the line of scrimmage. Already can hold up to double team. Great run defense grade over multiple years across multiple schemes. Obviously, this is PFF's write-up. Ideal size and length for the nose tackle position. Some of the negatives... Below average athlete, even by nose tackle standards, just can't get it moving. Has a difficult time maintaining leverage, has stiffness and limit. Career high 430 snaps this season, which is a very low number. So there you have it. We'll add this defensive tackle to the list of guys that the Packers have met with so far. In fact, I don't know, I'll see if I can do something interesting with that uh, with Patreon as far as doing a tracker or something, I don't know. Or could possibly do it on Packernet too, I guess. I don't know. Anyways, that's got to gotta be it some stuff I wanted to get to but I'm just out of time tomorrow's another day you folks have yourselves a fantastic one I will talk to you tomorrow have a good one bye bye